Welcome to Above the Garage. Hi friends, today we have the most exciting Shining Girls interview for you. Like literally, we have Silka Louisa with us and she did something on the show. Let me check my notes. Oh, that's right. She ran the show. Thank you for joining us, Silka. We're so excited. Thank you for having me so much. I really appreciate it. It's nice being here. Um, I just want to take a second to tell the world what a badass woman you are. Because Silka actually slid into our DMs last week, generously offering to come discuss the show with us after the finale. But it needed to be on a weekend or at night because not only does she have this amazing TV show premiering on Apple TV Plus, but she's also running another writer's room full time. And minor detail, she casually dropped. She's having a baby in a week. Amazing that you're offering us your dwindling free hours. I love your podcast. So I was just really <laughs> excited to talk to you guys. It's been really it's fun. With so cool that you have supported us did you find um like when i tag like we tagged you on instagram or did you find it yourself or so before this i'm like not a very heavy instagram user i'm not on twitter so i made like a twitter name so i could go on and see <laughs> how you guys on twitter yeah. and so then i listened to the podcast after that now we're gonna have to hunt you down and figure out who you are on there <laughs> <laughs> My name. I haven't put a, I haven't done a tweet. I haven't replied to anyone. It's I, it's my first two months on, on Twitter. It's that's amazing. I, yeah, I didn't think you were on, I didn't see you on Twitter. So, so you saw Stephen King's compliment to you, which was like the highest. It, I, I was like floating for days. Stephen King said, this is exactly what streaming was made for scary and involving well-acted and sumptuously made. It's a novel for the eyes and the mind. It was amazing. My husband woke me up one morning and was like, Stephen King tweeted about the show. <laughs> it was like Christmas. It was amazing. I was so excited for you. What made you not retire after that? I, <laughs> I was like, his book on writing was so important to me. It was like the first time I realized that you could write as a career. And it was uh, so it was insane that he signaled out the show and was like, wow. I love that. I've been reading him, I think, since I was like, I don't know, probably like seven. My probably parents were watching me very book. closely. Yeah. yeah, I still, I love him so much. Have you met him? No, I was good <laughs> now, you know. Well, I was like, how, do, I was like, should I write back? Yeah, how, how do I? I? I was like, no, no. And then it was too long. And then I was like, oh God. <laughs> oh man. So I never, I never wanted to do Twitter until we started this podcast. And now I'm on it all the time. And I've kind of like, I've kind of grown to enjoy the the limited care, the, you know, it's kind of challenging to try to limit your, what you're saying with your characters after a lifetime of speaking way too many words. It just, it feels, I mean, as a writer, it's so stressful because I just, I can't imagine people that just do it all day long because it's so, it's forever, it's written and yeah. it's <laughs> the whole world. <laughs> so it's, the anxiety that I would get just doing you know, one of them a day would be would be too much. Okay, so you have one child already and one coming. Yes. So you've already determined your parenting strategy. Are you more of like a Dan Velasquez kind of school of parenting? <laughs> <laughs> he does need a little help on that poor kid. <laughs> that poor poor kid poor freddie i love freddie yeah. he's turning out awesome so and he's a fantastic yeah. actor he did such a good job he was he was really really great so i love him so much i really hope there's a second season i've never i haven't heard anyone say the words series finale yet i don't know yet i know you don't know but i just i'd like you to bring freddie back if if at all possible people have asked what happened to freddie and i imagined he was okay not something we did not discuss, but I was quite sure he was he was okay. Nothing bad happened to Freddie. I have a random question for you. Do you have any pets? Grendel. <gasps> what? Really? The real Grendel? No, oh, she's a little terrier. Very mean-spirited little terrier that I love to death. <laughs> um, it's, it's from Beowulf. It's the monster yeah. Beowulf. And that's what Grendel means. Yeah, so, is, so the show dog named after your dog or is your dog named after the show? The, the show, first. show dog is named after Oh, that's awesome. I love that. She looks nothing like that dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's the TV version of, of Grendel. How do you pick a dog for a TV show? How did Grendel get picked? You you look at, just like casting an actor, you have all the photos of it. Yeah. Aww. And I, tried I want that job. You would <laughs> never decide on one. You'd be like, we need 10 Grendels. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to pick the coloring so that it was similar to the cat. 
Right. That's the highlight of the interview. I can't believe there's a real Grendel in your I know that question. I was just like, I'll just pop this in there. And then we were like, what? <laughs> we like pets. Great. Awesome. Yeah. We're big animal lovers on here. We always ask everybody if they have pets. <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of animals in the show. I didn't realize. I and mean, it's very dependent on each one. So like Trash Kitty was the is the cat in the beginning. And she was a fantastic cat. Very easy to work with. The dog who played Grendel was solid, I will say. Big boy. Yeah. The <laughs> Tokyo, the dog on the beach, Princeton, not he was a lot of trouble. <laughs> and is, is Tokyo okay? That was a question I had. Yeah. So I was going to answer that. <laughs> he, he is okay. I also imagined, I didn't want, the book was. It's too much. It was, it was so sad. I <laughs> <laughs> was so, so sad. But I yeah. also, I think Princeton would not have been able to, to uh, save the day. <laughs> we would have been able to film that. Yeah. Did you make that decision just because you didn't want to see that on TV or? Uh, there was a couple of things. I mean, like, I think it was just, I loved the attack in the book. I remember reading it and it was so visceral and it felt really, really real. But I think if you had that level of detail on screen, it would just be so graphic. Yeah. Um, so I, I always knew we were not going to, we weren't going to take that approach, but we talked a lot about how does Kirby survive? And obviously in the book, it's the dog, uh, Tokyo is like a big help. It felt like I wanted her to have more agency. And so, you know, there was a lot of, when we were in the writer's room, we were like, you know, is it something supernatural? Is it because she's going to get the house later? Is it somebody come and help her? And in the end, we got to a place where it was really important where she just survived. Like it's, it's not that she is stronger or better than the other women. It's just sometimes you're the lucky one and you do survive. And what do you do with, with that afterwards? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think I prefer that as well. Cause also I, I don't want to see the dog eater. <laughs> no, I always, I always imagine that the dog went off, was found later on on the beach and got adopted and Aww. had a happy ending. <laughs> the whole way that y'all did that scene was really effective too. Just the fact the things that you don't show, you know, makes it even more effective. We talked about that a little bit. Yeah, Lizzie had a really, like she had that approach right from the beginning was that she really just wanted it to play on her face and to try and keep it as tight where you're just with her, you're, it's very subjective. It's a really bold directing choice. And I, I think it was a really smart move because it also, it stays out of, you. it's not a very graphic um, scene, but it's really effective. It's just hard to watch. Yeah. yeah. How closely is the author um, involved is it entirely in your hands at some point? Just what is that point, I guess? So Lauren, she basically, I came in, I got the, I have a take. So when you're, you know, kind of like auditioning for the, for the job, you come in, you say, okay, if I was going to do it, this is what I would do. Mm -hmm. um, I got hired. I wrote the pilot and then Lauren read the pilot and I was really, really nervous because I, I just love the book so much and I have so much respect for her as a writer. So that was, a, you know, I really wanted her to be happy with, you know, the changes because I feel like I did honor the book, but at the same time, there's a lot that's different. And she was incredibly supportive and effusive and she has been every step of the way. She's so lovely. She is so, so lovely. Um, and when we started, when we opened the writer's room, she sent me all of her stuff, all of her research, all of her thread boards. She explained how her mythology had worked, which is a little bit different. Uh, we just, I just got to talk to her and understand like how she got, how she built out the book because time travel is not easy. And so she, she had the same experience where she was trying to, trying to figure it all out too. That's awesome. You just, you did such a great job though, because I love the book, but this is a different animal also, you know, like there's just a lot of similarities, but I'm very, very happy that she's also happy with it. That would have been, that would have been brutal. I'll have to go read the book now because oh, some of have... us haven't, I haven't read the book. Um, have you read it, Violet? No, we kind of kept a few of us like book, book free so that it would be yeah. like some of us were experiencing it all for the first time and could talk about it from that approach, I guess. I think the book is, is fantastic because it also, because there are other victims and there are different periods of time. I mean, personally, like I love um, historical, historical fiction. So being able to see the women in the different time periods in Chicago, I couldn't figure out how to get that into the show, but it's, it's fantastic in the book. That was one of my questions actually was how did you, I'm not sure about in the book, but do they detail 
um, all of his victims in the book or? I don't know if it was all of them. There's definitely, I'm trying to think, I can't remember exactly how many women there were, but maybe there's like 10. Um, and you know, each of them, it, roughly, right? Yeah, and you know a little bit more. You know a little bit more, like you return to a couple of them a couple times. Um, but I, there might have been more murders beyond that, but those are the ones that, that are focused on. Okay, so we have a few questions we were hoping you could help us answer that we asked on Twitter over the past couple of months. We have a few visuals here to help you see what we're asking about, but for the listeners, you can always go to our Twitter page. They're all on there with the hashtag Shining Girls. Did Harper visit other Shining Girls as children or was Kirby always extra special in that way? I think both things are true. Yes, he always visited other uh, and his other victims as children, but I do think Kirby was special because he met her with Clara. So I feel like he came back to this scene much more than he did the, uh, the other women and mm-hmm. gave her the pony from the house. It felt like they've always had this, this deeper connection. Could that have contributed to why maybe he like botched her attack a little bit, you know, like something like subconscious about that? Perhaps, but I, I also think serial killers just make mistakes sometimes. And right. You know, he, there was an arrogance to it. He just left her there. It's same with Jin. Sometimes it feels like he just walks away from them and he, he feels above everything above police. He's above time. He's not really, he's not operating as a regular criminal because how are you going to catch him? Mm-hmm. Right. In the end, Kirby does. Yeah. I noticed that even particularly like in the last episode when he's just walking around with the blood covered shirt, he just like does not give one shit. <laughs> he's just like, whatever. <laughs> covered in blood, it's fine. <laughs> I think you said that in the podcast, Violet. He just needs to be able to walk out of there. That's the only yeah. thing he needs to worry about. Yeah. He can yeah. just travel through time. So exactly. Yeah. It's his only real danger is being away from the house. That's why the ho- hospital scene is such a, that's the only time you really see him on the back foot where it's mm-hmm. like, how is he going to get home? And I thought Lizzie did a great job of, of, you know, making him feel really different in, in those scenes. Yeah. I was expecting him to kill the, the hospital buddy on his way out anyway, but he doesn't kill. Um, no, I really unnecessarily. no. I did want to just say that I thought her circus was really cool. And if my kids came up with that, I'd be really impressed. We we spent so much time trying to dial in. Okay. How elaborate of a circus could a kid make? Is this too elaborate? It's like bespoke, but, and there was a lot of experimentation. It was really fun. Everyone tried to make little (laughs) different things. I love the Ferris wheel. I mean, it's awesome. And it's all period accurate um, material. Yeah. Oh, wow. Please tell us Dan was buying drinks for the whole bar. <laughs> receipt. Drinks. How many was on the receipt? 33. Okay. <laughs> I, I counted once. I'm sure I was off a little you guys, bit. Yeah. <laughs> you guys flagged that. And I was like, wow, that is a lot. But he <laughs> <laughs> and I do think he got taken advantage of that night. I think he bought drinks yeah. for everyone yeah. because it was a very short period of time. And he, <laughs> he could go wild, but I think he would be, I think he would be dead. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yes. I was very impressed. Yeah, totally. Uh, he was still walking. My favorite part about this receipt, though, is it just proved how idiotic I am that I was looking for dates that whole hour-long episode, and I counted the drinks on this ep- on this receipt and did not look at the date. And I remembered <laughs> it like right as we published. Random Groundhog Day appreciation slide. I assume this was purposeful. It is, and this is like a dark version of that. Yeah, because he mm-hmm. does a, a very similar. Yeah. Although when you rewatch that, it is unsettling. I feel like I watched it when I was doing, when I was doing the show and I was like, "Mm, not as strong as I first remember it. Uh, Why Cantini? Because the, the first monologue I wrote when he was in the assisted living facility, Mm -hmm. I I really wanted to have something about horses. So I was basically just researching uh, battles and I came across this. Basically, when I was writing the monologue, I was researching and I was like, oh, this one had horses and it was it felt like the right field. And just in terms of the gas and describing it, that's Perfect. usually how that's usually how I, I end up places for his first kill to be like a gateway. You know, he needed to do it to survive. But then, yeah, and I, I, there there was a, the line that I think is really important is that he was always like this. It really wasn't. Yeah. 
it, it wasn't like he be, he went to war and he came back a monster. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was a monster and it just let the lid off. Um, is there a significance to the number 19 when he rings the bell and says 19 last one at Leo's place of living? It was just 20 laps. So it was 19, okay. 20 laps. Someone, I can't remember which one of you did, did say that that was Somebody it. Somebody did say that, yeah. Very simple. This, we actually discovered, this concept we discovered um, in the edit. What did you paint them with? How did you make them glow like this? It's the crosses at the in Cantini when after they've gathered the bodies, and you see the reason that he cuts the crosses in the bodies because they have this really cool black shot where the crosses pop out white, and they did it in After Effects. You said right? Yep. And and basically, it's just everything else disappears from the shot, and then all mm-hmm. that's left is the crosses. And it looks nice. really cool. Yeah, it looks awesome. Our editor John Caldwell, he he was doing this scene and. Without doing this, it the crosses didn't stand out very much. So you kind of just had the mm-hmm. battlefield scene and then you went to the next scene. Okay. And then once he he did this effect on it, it became, I think it it, you know, it stuck out in your mind. So you actually understood the intention of it. Mm-hmm. But I never counted the crosses. Uh, it's such a cool shot though. Like I absolutely love this picture. I don't think we counted it until we already decided to use it because we like the shot. Yeah. So does he just only stay there for 20 laps then and then he gets out of there? Is that the whole point? <laughs> it's like you're, if you're in a hospital, you kind of do laps to, to you know, for exercise. <laughs> yeah. Does the beer bottle turn into a world's greatest dad coffee cup in episode, what is this, seven, I think? Or is Dan just the world's fastest coffee cup picker? He might be the world's fastest coffee picker upper. Let's but... watch it together. <laughs> Shall we? Yes. <laughs> there he is he's got his he's got his beer bottle okay so here's what happened <laughs> <laughs> there was another scene so it went to them on the they were on the sofa and then kirby went up and followed him into the kitchen there was a scene that felt really similar to the the dynamic of when they're in the doorway at the end of the scene where it's a little flirty um can we have that <laughs> <laughs> We have the it extra was, footage. It was actually a great scene, but it felt like a double beat because it's it's it felt like the same the same idea twice. Yeah. But the but in the kitchen, she was giving him a hard time about his drinking, and so he put down put down the beer bottle and he picked up the mug. But the world's greatest it, mug. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just really wanted him to be alive because he died at the end of that episode, so I was really grasping on yeah. anything that I could. We were just like, oh my God, his reality's changing. (laughs) Ah. It wouldn't be crazy though. I mean, considering the show that would actually also track. So that could also be true. It's like we're constantly doing like, where's Waldo's, but like for things that are different in every every frame of the show. (laughs) I'm really happy most of our continuity held up. That's all I can say. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. How did you even like manage that? Like, I'm assuming there was just complex, crazy boards of stuff, right. That you just had to constantly reference. Um, yeah. And then there, we had a producer called, uh, April Moore who was on set. Um, she was the, she made tons of charts and she, it was all in her brain where she knew, you know, all the victims, the objects that were inside of them, who they were taken from the dates, the, the timeline of the show. And so that, that was a huge help because then if, and you know somebody from the art department comes up and they ask a question she knows the answer same with the costume and everything so yeah so you had to track like every the costumes the hair the makeup everything mm-hmm. based on not only the day you were filming but based on the time timeline of the show yeah that's a lot to keep up with you guys did great and you're shooting out of order and sometimes we were shooting uh like because we wanted to use the same location, even though it was like a couple episodes later, you know, Lizzie would be shooting when Dana's shooting. It was, it was very intense. Change clothes and hair like five times in one day. And anytime Lizzie changes hair, it's hours, you know, to get, to get the wigs on and everything. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's a lot. Who chose um, all her looks, her different styles? We had the, the concept was in the script but she is super involved in, you know, her clothes, her hair, all of that, because it's part of, it's part of the character. So it's, I think it has to be, the actress has to be very involved in establishing all that. And 
she had a really strong sense of Kirby and what would feel right and what wouldn't feel right. And we talked a lot about like her arc over the season and how her clothes change, um, which I think you guys have talked about, but you know, there's definitely like in the beginning, she starts in those, in that huge trench coat. And then you slowly start to see her, you know, be more comfortable showing a little bit yeah. more skin. Mm-hmm. And then a she looks awesome. by the end. Yeah. And then she looks awesome in episode eight. Um, so this slide is the woman that uh, Harper runs into in the convenience store. I think when he's waiting for Freddie and he corners her in the back room is she, was she, we had a little disagreement. Was she just a disappointing random or a disappointing shining girl? That was the first time he had ever met her. And so I would say this is his trial. Like this is him being like, am I going to spend the next four or five years following you, going to see you as a kid, watching you yeah. watch the same moment in time over and over? And, and he said no. Um, now we have the, um, from episode eight, Jen Sook and, well, Kirby's license from a previous episode, but they have the same address as well as social security number. This one... This one, someone just, we messed up. Okay. So, um, when you, when you use an address or when you use a social security number, you have to clear it. So I'm guessing what mm. happened because it could be somebody's real address. That makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah. Things like you, you never imagine, think of. As, no. Yeah. Can you imagine if that was your real social security right. number and it was associated with somebody who's already been murdered, but now right. has a shift, like <laughs> you don't want to be part of the show. And, and same with your address. So you have, it's like this whole legal process where you have to put the address in. And I'm mm. pretty sure what happened was we had cleared Kirby's address because we'd already done that episode and they probably got to filming this and they hadn't cleared anything else and they used that. Because who's going to look that closely? We apologize. I thought your theory on it was really interesting where they, they basically were like blending and her shift was in, uh, impacting the other. But no, this is a continuity error. Yeah, I was like, we've, we've established a whole mythology based on... Yeah, <laughs> because she teacher. slept at the office afterwards. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, it was a good conversation though. So thanks for that. <laughs> I feel like they're connected now, but not in terms of address being the same yeah. <laughs> well it's funny too though because look um i think the heights are different right because that but, yeah way be clear that part doesn't have to yeah. be cleared yeah yeah, exactly. yeah that makes sense it's now literally, it's literally just the address and social security number and the driver's license number too which i'm sure is the same situation right. to clear the number yeah that's so that is very interesting behind the scenes like info it's <laughs> fascinating there's usually a, a, a huge panic to whenever something like this is like, did you clear it? Do we, what do we have as options? Somebody write a name of an address and then you try and clear like 20 addresses to, to have one that would work. Oh my God. This, the number of things that you have to think of. There's hundreds of people that help you think of them. So. Um, random Dan and Kirby appreciation slide. I think you, you've clearly listened and you know that we love them. Yeah. That their final scene together is probably my favorite in the in the season i just i love them i remember one of the first things one of the first scenes they had together was the diner scene in the pilot and it was so like just watching them for the first time act against each other Mm -hmm. they just had a real natural chemistry and i was like oh we got so lucky (laughs) (laughs) so i assume you changed the ages of the characters for because you wanted lizzie no, actually, I changed the I, age, I changed the ages of the character before that, be, mainly because I wanted her to have more agency, and it's just mm-hmm. it felt like twenties, early twenties intern. Yeah, she wasn't actually going to be able to do that much. Mm-hmm. You know, how is she even going to navigate certain places? And and it felt like that was a really big age spread. It's such a big change from the book, and that like going into it, I was like, I wonder how she's going to do this. And I love it. I love them so much. I also think it, you know, once Lizzie started to perform it, it also felt it's like her life really did get stunted, right? It's it's like since the attack, she hasn't, she's older now, but she hasn't really moved forward in her life. And there's something about um, somebody who's not in their 20s playing that, that I think actually, actually helped a lot. Did you, did a lot of people try for his part? How did, how did his part come about? Or did you reach out to him? Uh, we we reached out to him, um, and we had you know first we just had a meeting with Michelle and him and me and Lizzie, and 
he had a a background in journalism Mm. and he'd read the scripts and he really understood Dan and he understood the, the challenge of their relationship where, you know, he, he really wants the story. He really wants to tell it in a true way, but at the same time he becomes involved in her life and the, the struggle of the journalist, how involved in a subject can you be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once we, we, once we spoke with him, it just felt like he was Dan. There was no, there was no, no brainer then. Yeah. He was amazing. Um, I'm sorry about this. Picture. Nobody likes this picture. <laughs> it's a terrible photo. <laughs> yeah, no, I was talking to Kimberly about it and she was like, I really hate that photo, Kate. And I was like, all right, I'll take it out. She's like, no, I like the question. <laughs> I was like, well, there's no other well, it's, photo. It's also, it's a podcast, so no one can else can see it, but it's the photo of Lizzie when she's being attacked and she has the handkerchief in her mouth and his ring is on his hand. So is it Clara's handkerchief? It, yes. Ah, is Claire's handkerchief and the ring is a it's a world it's a veteran's ring um you're an umbrella person aren't you Silica? I am such an umbrella person <laughs> I didn't even realize that you could not be an umbrella person <laughs> when you guys had that debate I was like who who's anti-umbrella what did the how is that person moving through the world it's so funny um uh, I, I I yeah it's not like anti-umbrella people are not aware that umbrella pro-umbrella people exist, but I have discovered that pro-umbrella people do not know that we exist. <laughs> we Are do. You, you're just walking through the rain. Do. I mean, you live in LA and you're a pro-umbrella person. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm assuming you live in LA. I do live in LA now, but I grew up in Miami. We have rain there. Um, and I lived in New York a long time, but there's rain there. I, yeah. I'm in Philly. There's rain here, but if I need to be out in it that long that I would require an umbrella, I'm just not going to go out in it. I'm trying to think. Yeah. And I also, I'm trying to think when the umbrella came into the story or how I, how I inserted it. I think I just really liked the visual coming up with this, this image. And it was in the script just that her umbrella stood out and it worked with the rooftop. So this is Kirby's bedroom and there's a framed mystery photo on her bedside table. I've been trying to figure this out for two months. Is it a three-eared cat? It's a cat in a Godzilla costume. That is poor. That I that I think that's Trash Kitty. I think that's Trash Kitty dressed up as Godzilla. I I can see the kitty in it. It was just yeah. the I couldn't the rest of it. Oh. Does someone still have this photo? Because I need to see it. I'm sure that cat had probably a really unpleasant day trying to get that <laughs> get that photo taken. I can't see it. I still like I'm looking at it I now and it. I just I can't see it. Because that, that was my problem, like the spike at the top. It's a Godzilla costume. We should have known because there's I'm guessing there's, there's spikes all the way down. Oh, I think I can see it now. Yeah, yeah. I can see it now, too. Spikes that starts here, and then there's spikes all down the back. Are you the Godzilla fan, Silka? It, so that was from the book. That's the end of our presentation. Thank you for doing it. So now our friends are just going to come ask you one question each, if you have time. Yes. Yay. That wasn't too hard. Yeah, I was trying to tell you that, but I didn't know how to get that across. <laughs> so uh, I have a lot of questions, but I choose only one, uh, maybe, you know, because of time. Um, um, I know for me, the finale was like, perfect. Uh, I don't know. It was it let, like, it gave us closure, you know, uh, to us, to the, to the characters, but also let something just in case, you know, um, but one thing that stood out for me was uh, the way uh, Harper was punished, you know? Um, so I don't know, there was like, for example, uh, Clara saying the same things that he was gonna say. It's like the recordings, the Polaroids there, you know? And Kirby saying some of the words he said, like you could see that she really took the time to go to his, through his life, like he stalked him. It's amazing. Um, so, uh, but I wanted to know if uh, that was always a plan. Like, did you talk about, like, did you think about maybe uh, killing Harper and destroying the house? Did it change through the writing process or the filming process? Definitely. We talked a lot about, you know, when we were, when we were doing the first break of the season, which was when you kind of do the overview of it, you don't get into the specific episodes. You, you, you kind of, you do the tentpole moments. And we knew we wanted Kirby to get the house because it's, it's a totem of power. And we wanted to see her, her take that power from Harper, but it felt like 
in some ways killing him wasn't enough and it would be even more satisfying to see him feel as disoriented as he's made all these other women feel. And so it's really just the revenge fantasy of being able to force somebody to live through what they put you through. And then once we had that, once in the writer's room, once that came up as, as an idea, it was like, oh yeah, that's definitely it. That, that's, where we, that's where we need to build towards. I'd watch a whole season of him just being tortured. <laughs> Me too, easily. It's, it was interesting because an hour, you know, with an hour left to go, we were all very skeptical or nervous about it wrapping in an hour. Even with, I think, a half hour left to go when I was watching with my husband, I was like, how are they going to do this? And you did it. It was amazing. It was so good. It was so fulfilling. It was great. I think with the, you know, like we were saying, it's, it feels like I really wanted the emotional story and Kirby's emotional story to feel like it had some sense of closure. But at the same time, there's still a lot of questions about the house, mm-hmm. you know, who's got the blue shoes, all those it felt like there's enough mythology there mm-hmm. that if, you know, if it were to continue, there's still, there's still spaces to explore. I'll let you handle that. But yes, I'm excited. Uh, Yulia is our artist. She is from Germany. It's like, I don't know, five in the morning there or something. Oh, thank you so yes. much for waking up early. <laughs> she has a newborn, so it's up all hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm up on, at ho- on holy hours. That's true. <laughs> But she's sleeping now, so let's get get this over quick. <laughs> we won't have long. No, I, I wanted to thank you for taking your time to answer all of your of our questions. No, this has been a total pleasure. So I wanted to talk a little about um, the difference of the house owners because that was kind of striking to me. Um, we saw, like, just in the last episode, the guy who committed suicide was mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the first owner but at least the one before the Swedish guy who was some kind of collector I think um, then we got Harper who's like using the house just for his own benefit and for very bad yeah things <laughs> let's say that and then we have Kirby at the very end and she uses it for yeah revenge I guess and also uh, for justice Mm-hmm. And I was thinking um, about like how significant is this difference? Like, how did you craft this? And also, I want to know um, what way do you think would be good to use this house if you had the power? Like, if if you had this house, like, what would you do? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I'll answer the first question because it's easier. Um, it was important in the last episode to show that there were different owners so that when Kirby does get to the house, it's not, it's not necessarily, Oh, the house is going to make you evil or the house is going to make you like Harper. You're right there. So the chronology of who owned the house is the guy in the blue shoes, then Bartek who, like you said, he's a collector, right? You see him pressing flowers. He's collected all these interesting things that have filled the house Um, He feels like he's been curious and used it to explore different time periods and enjoy them. Um, And then obviously Harper, he, he used the house for murder, but he probably would have ended up killing Clara anyways, even without the house. And now that Kirby has the house, she has every option. She can do anything with it, right? She's gotten, once she's done with Harper and she's, and she feels like she's put him in his place, I think the big question at the end of the season for her emotionally is now what, what would I do with a time travel house? God, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I would be so nervous that I would undo something. I would, it would be, I would like take four steps out and then be like, ah, never mind. I'm going to go back in. So like butterfly effect. Exactly. I would yeah. not, you have no, it feels so precarious <laughs> how time works. So I wouldn't yeah. want to mess anything up for someone. Maybe you go to the future and not the past. And then it's not as risky. I definitely would go to the future trying to like, look back and be like, Oh, which past era would I be happier in? Definitely looking forward. Not mm-hmm. I like the back to the future. Almon- I mean, not the back to the future almanac, but the almanac for back to the future reference. And that was a, that was a real Swedish almanac with Swedish writing in it. 
but we bought the almanac with writing in it and none, nobody could read it. So hopefully it doesn't say, I have no idea what it says either. I think it- I think I read, I read on Reddit, someone who translated the first uh, sentence, I think. And it's something about a woman named Greta or, or, or something like this. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, no! Yeah. Who's Greta? Gave her address. Yeah, and her you bought security the number. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Greta. <laughs> Seriously. All right, Rachel from New Mexico. Hi, Rachel. Hi, hi Silka. I'm Rachel. Thank you so much for talking with us. Um, so, first of all, thank you for confirming I was right about the laps, about the 19 laps up and down the. <laughs> I loved so much um, watching how Kirby and Dan bonded throughout the season. And it, I found the ending bittersweet, of course, where Kirby is able to save all of Harper's victims, including Dan. But the sacrifice is he doesn't remember her or their time together and their friendship has been erased. Um, there seemed to be a hint at the end that um, they may be able to start over. And if this is something that you can talk about at all, how, how do you see that reconnection progressing for them? Yeah, I definitely felt it would be too bleak if if Dan just died at the end of episode seven and you had no sense of, you know, is he still around? Could they, is there a possibility that the, that door could be reopened? Because even if he doesn't remember her, they still have a connection, which you can see in that scene. Mm -hmm. So they could just start their relationship over. I, I guess the hope in my mind is is yes that they would. Um, you know, one of the the hard things about the house is, yeah, she triumphs over Harper, but she spent the whole season building these relationships with these other characters, and in a way, having the house strips her of all those relationships because you have to stay in the house and you're outside of time and you're alone again. And so I think the the push and pull is: do I want to stay in the house or do I want to try and pursue? you know, having those relationships. Or can any of those relationships join her in the house? <laughs> that's a possibility as well. Well, it didn't, it didn't work so well for Leo. That's my concern. But she's not malicious like, like Harper was. I don't, I don't think that was on Harper, was it? Wasn't it the house? It, there usually is. Uh, if you do look at the other owners, there is only one owner per, it, I think it's hard to share a time travel house. <laughs> Maybe you can figure out a way to make it so if there's a season two. <laughs> I think that's a fair request. I also would like to see them together. Thank you so much. I wonder how often like actors chemistry makes you change a story as writers. I think the, the scenes definitely did change. They became a lot more flirty and romantic. They had a different tenor to them in the back half of the season just because they did have more chemistry. And I'm sure if they had been different actors, it, it would have been a, we would have leaned in another direction. Different feel, yeah. We have Scarlett from Puerto Rico. Hi, Silka, how are you? Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um, I have a, a similar question to the one Rachel did. Um, I really, really enjoyed the way um, Dan and Kirby's dynamic was portrayed in the show and written in the show um, because it was really interesting to me how Dan kind of relates and maneuvers uh, Kirby's changing reality or trauma, because I guess those things parallel, mm -hmm. um, and how she feels comfortable enough to open up and be able to be herself and not maybe see herself as a victim all the time. And I think that was very powerful. And I just wanted to know how you came about portraying this between those two characters. That to me is the heart of the show. I mean, their relationship is the, is the main through line um, and I think that's why it was so important for him to have at least a scene in the, the finale, because in a way, I think without Dan, I don't know if she would have been able to navigate all this and to, to confront Harper and to confront what happened to her. Part of it is having uh, an ally and advocate who does believe you and who does listen to you. This the show is very much a Cassandra story. It's somebody who knows the truth, but no one will listen to. And I think once she has somebody who listens to her, that gives her a lot of strength to to move forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that was that was beautiful. So thank you for that. Um, I have one small, tiny question. Um, I just wanted to know if the linear timeline that we see on the show runs from April 13th to April 28th. Scarlett is our like timeline expert. She made a timeline for the whole show and it's awesome. 
I can show you, I'm going to put in the chat one of our timelines. Let me see if it, I don't know if this is our final, final one, but this is one of the timelines I was telling you April worked on that we used. This is very exciting right now. <laughs> yes, it is. So this is like, this is Kirby's show timeline. And so it has every single, so it starts on April 13th. That's her Monday. And that's when she's writing in the notebook, you know, with the cat. Mm -hmm. And then, then it's her Tuesday, then Wednesday. And these are the different episodes. So like Wednesday is still in episode one. The 16th is in episode two. And we did it this way. So every character, it's, it's basically a two week period. Let me see the last date we have. We hadn't done, this is from when we hadn't done, I think episode eight hadn't been written yet, but it goes up to April 26th is, is when. That is so cool and well-organized. Wow. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful chart. Basically April 26th was the night of Jinsuk's presentation. So those, that was the date in the pilot. April 26th would have been the day of her presentation in the pilot. So you're catching up to April 26th. So how did it work when he, when her apartment changed to 3B and it seemed like Jinsuk was killed at that time for us? I always thought of time, just uh, there's one string of time. Mm -hmm. And so wherever Harper is, he's still connected to Kirby. So his emotions, his violence against other women, it ripples forward kind of like a butterfly effect and gotcha. changes her changes her world, changes her, you know, her hair, her apartment, depending yeah. on, on what he's done. And so if he kills Jin Suk in April 26, it doesn't matter that Kirby is, you know, not the same time. It basically ripples backwards and still impacts her life. Um, and so we did one of these timelines for every single character. That's so cool. That kind of led into a question I had about just the way that the time travel is working, because I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. So like Harper continues to go back to the same day over and over again, but he's not running into himself when he does that. So is that because he's kind of creating like a different branch of reality every time he goes back? No, I always thought of it. There's only one, the, the doppelganger paradox just blew my mind. So I always thought of it. It's almost like if time is a string, you can, the house exists outside of time. So there's only ever one Harper. So he goes to the moment and then he has to go back to the house, but that moment is not continually happening with Harper at the same time. Okay. But like, because it's slightly, because it's slightly different, I guess, for the, if he's going back, let's say to Kirby as a child over and over again to that same, the same scene, right. The same doorstep okay. for him. Like if he does that 15 times, then okay. is her memory the 15th time only? Yes. Okay. Got it. Cool, so it's cool. the last time he visits is what they remember. Right. Exactly. And if that's why if you erase him, so if he never found the house, that would be the lot, like that is, then he never happened, then it never happened. Because all of those other 15 times that he was there, those are gone. Right. He is going to go back to the house though, right? Because he's going to be mad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is a fair, that's a fair guess. I'd be nervous. I, it's with all of the time stuff, it just feels like, whenever we, we would get really bogged down in it, in the writer's room, the easiest way to think of it would be in emotional terms. And, you know, what do you want to see? And so emotionally, I can understand Harper and Kirby connected through time because of the violence that was done to her. That, that was a very simple concept. And so I would always just anchor into that. The mechanics of are there doppelgangers, are there not? It's, I, I feel like we always established that there weren't doppelgangers because we didn't want to see Harper running into into more Harpers, you know, I didn't, uh, for me, parallel universes in a way, they kind of limit the stakes of anything, because if, if there's hundreds of different Kirby's, if something happens to one of them, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Um, so it was important to me for there only to be one, one timeline that everything is operating off of. It kind of leads into my question of there was a, there's a scene where um, Harper's looking through the window mm -hmm. um, at, Kirby at Jin Sook's house and he's kind of he gets shocked confused and then he's almost like happy that he's worked out so is that that's separate to the timeline right that's him is that him being connected to Kirby so when his emotions kind of change her reality 
changes in small ways, like her clothing exactly. and... Okay, and that's cool. the same as when he's slamming her up against the wallpaper and the yeah. laundromat. It's really, it's like he's been doing these things to her inadvertently, right? He doesn't know in the in the pilot, he doesn't know that he's changing her apartment because he doesn't even know that she's still alive. Yeah. And so it's like at the end of episode four, it's it really throws him for a loop because how did she survive? But then in episode five, he's like, oh, no, I'm still really in control here because, look, I, I can I can change her world without even touching her. I have all I you know, she's tethered yeah. to me. Um, so that's really just him understanding the mechanics of the fact that they're still connected. I would like to before the other just because that connects with another question I had a does Kirby change realities to like change his reality? Not until she has the like not until the end the house, until she has the house at the end. So inside of the house, there's shifts, right? Things just change. Like you see in episode six, he's like when he explains it to Clara, things just change in here. It just happens. It it's almost like weather patterns, right? It's like the chandelier becomes a different chandelier. Once Kirby has the house, then he has the shifts. And because they've sort of swapped spots. I kind of um, want to have a question that is um, building on that. Um, why doesn't uh, Kirby's appearance uh, change in the last episode? She's looking all the same in, uh, in the finale. <clears throat> when Harper goes on his killing spree, her appearance stays the same. Yeah, we wanted to try and find different kinds of shifts, you know, so the shifts that we picked, obviously the, po the police one with, with Jin Suk and, um, you know, her, her position at the paper felt more interesting. We were out of hair, hairstyles. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love this answer. <laughs> I'm just gonna, we picked a really great one and we wanted to stick with it. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Silka. Well, and in the book, the house choose the victims, or at least Harper finds the, the list the first time he visits the house. Mm -hmm. So in the show, this is neither shown nor mentioned. So mm -hmm. we assume this is Harper who selects the victim based on some criteria. Yeah. In the, in the book, Harper is very much, his psyche is very much connected to the house, and it works like a time loop. So it's almost like you don't know what comes first, the house or Harper. That made it tricky because if that were true for the show, no one else can really own the house, right? There's there you can't have previous owners, you can't you can't do anything else with the house because it's so it's so connected to that one character. And I really wanted Harper to be responsible for his own choices. I think he chooses the women, he chooses the man that he wants to be, and every single day he's making that choice the house is just an instrument for him to be able to make those choices. Um, in terms of how he picks the women, it's like you see him when he first meets Kirby, there's a spark there. The fact that she teases him about the earrings and he knows that she's lying. There's a confidence that he can't quite get hold of. And versus I think the, the, the woman in the bodega, it just didn't, she just didn't have that same fight back. And it's, you know, what makes a shining girl versus someone else? Honestly, I think a lot of it is just really subjective. It's Harper having an interaction with a woman who could be any of us on a confident day where we're just comfortable with ourselves, having a conversation with someone, and that makes him feel small because he's nervous and vulnerable. And he remembers that moment and goes after those women. Thank you so much. So the house is not malevolent in this, right? No. It's helping it's a, Kirby in the fight, right? Exactly. Well, it's the, it's the house is not, it can be whatever, it can reflect whatever the owner is. So I imagine when Bartek, the Swedish man, owned that house, it was probably a pretty nice, pretty nice place to live, you know, a little <laughs> dark, but, is, you know, he's got his collections of things. He's got pressed flowers. He's got a flowers, lot of nice yeah. books. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was it was an interesting space. I, I I don't it's a mirror of of whoever owns it. Gotcha. And who what were the men doing in the beginning of episode eight? Uh draining the lake. Oh. Um, I would never have guessed that. Hi Silka. 
Hi, Ginger. I just wanted to say, first of all, what I really love about this show is the attention to detail that you guys did. It's just, it's so, it's so hard to follow, but it's so fun to follow. And I'm really excited now that it's all out to binge it all at once and catch all the little details that we missed. So I just wanted to say thank you. I appreciate that. It was so hard to, I really appreciate all of you, you know, noticing all those things because so many people worked so hard on all of them. So the fact that they're being noticed is, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, you can tell you guys worked really hard and I think it makes the show more interesting. So we appreciate it. Um, but my question was in the finale when Kirby's at the house and she looks out the window and that bright light is shining on her. What mm -hmm. exactly does she see? Like, I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be more symbolic or if she's actually seeing something. Well, the house exists outside of time. So the question is, what does being outside of time look like? And I think that's a mythology question that you can either imagine or that could be explored later. It's like something shiny. Like something shiny. <laughs> yeah. That kind of leads into my question a little bit about um, the house being timeless, I guess. Um, when we see the first scene, scenes, I guess, of the last episode, we um, see all the remnants of the mm. fight the pearls and things like that on the floor is the house timeless in the way that it kind of just over its whole past, present and future, it has kind of these objects that kind of just randomly show up and appear in the house, no matter what timeline they're from. I, the objects are from the fight. I'm glad you noticed that. And I would say that all the owners of the house, like all of their items shift into the house. So like if that's why Grendel, the dog shifts in, but if you've been an owner of the house, like you're kind of, your stuff is in the pot. Mm, I like that. Does, um, is there a conversation that happens off screen where Kirby tells Clara to stop putting the cancer paint on her skin? <laughs> I imagined this whole they, where they become friends and they had this whole relationship because she she had to approach him and explain to her who Harper was. Yeah, and probably felt they felt like they got on really well um, the night with the dancing. So, yes, I think they had a lot of conversations about radium. Awesome. <laughs> I will just assume it's not too late. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> that cough was pretty bad. Um, but yeah, I imagine that they that was like one of the relationships that could have built, she could have built on. I love that scene as a Handmaid's Tale fan and just right. the two of them together. And that was, that was amazing. Did Lizzie, um, obviously, did she suggest Maddie for that Absolutely. role? Yeah. 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 Such a good choice. Yeah. And she did a great job with the, with the dance and everything, which was yeah. physically really, really hard. The cape that she's wearing is incredibly heavy. Yeah. So she's, she's a rock star. I love that episode. I love all the episodes. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for talking to us for so long. I'm sorry um, oh. to soak up your dwindling hours. This was so fun. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for the podcast. Thank you for being uh, supporters of the show. I just, I really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you. We, um, your messages mean a lot to us. So thank you. Thank you. Makes it worthwhile. Yes. Thank you. I feel like everyone's in like worse time zones than me. Really nice to meet you all. You too. <laughs> Good night. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.